right, let's give it up for these young people one more time. Thank you, guys. Staying both services. Appreciate you. Thank you, my brother. Such a good man. Open up your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Just want to speak to you for a few moments about the resurrected life. So good to see everybody here. Everybody say the resurrected life. Thank you. Look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 says, Therefore, since God's, if we could have it up there for me, please. Therefore, since God's mercy, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we renounce secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, please. Thank you. Brothers and sisters, we live in a time where people distort the word of God to their own benefit. And what we need to do is remember that the Word of God is not for our temporary benefit. We need to remember that, though I believe it benefits us. But the Bible says that in the time of Paul writing here that many were taking the Word of God and making it to benefit them, and this became shameful. And what's going on today in our culture is that Christianity is shameful now. Honestly, most people do not recognize true Christianity because of all of the shameful ways of Christians and the way they've behaved. And today, like Easter, for many people, is an important part of their life, but they don't live like Jesus is raised from the dead. And it's very sad. So many of your friends, they'll say like, hey, I went to an Easter service. They'll say, I, I did X, Y, and Z. But oftentimes in those services, what the people are trying to do, the ministers, because, you know, I, I am one, I understand it, they're trying to manipulate them to get something as a feel-good, feel sorry for Jesus, know he loves you, feel good, to come into Christianity. But that's not what should make us want to be Christians. Oh, Dito, Jesus, oh, look at he suffered, oh, I feel so bad for him. That's not going to make you want to stay a Christian as time goes on. In other words, a lot of people will come to Christianity for that, they'll then leave when they think Jesus is not being kind or nice to them. So when you talk to people about homosexuality or the sin that's in our, our culture today, a lot of people living together, not married. Uh, it was mentioned before, Joe B. did an amazing job talking about pornography and so forth. People will, will say, well, I don't think Jesus would judge me for that. I don't think that that would be a problem. Well, the reason is, is because they've been deceived into thinking Jesus is like them. And oftentimes people have an idol of Jesus. I just don't mean like a statue that people pray to and call Jesus. I don't just mean that. I mean they have a deceptive version. And notice what Paul says here. Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, the ministry of being an apostle, we do not lose heart. So why would he say that? Because for him it would be discouraging to see over time the little success that he had compared to what the false apostles and the false uh, prophets and the false people would have. And I can share that with you as a pastor. I feel that all the time. I feel oftentimes saddened by the lack of respect that people have for the true church. Sometimes I wonder, like, man, if I dressed more like the Pope, would they respect me? You know, because they talk to me a certain way. And I'm like, I don't think they talk to the priest that way. And then uh, other times, like, I'll go out and preach the gospel, and, and people will say they're Christians, but then they'll be very rude and disrespectful to not only me, but to the precious people we have out preaching. And then I think to myself again, would you do that to the Black Lives Matter protest? Like, would you treat them like that? And they don't treat them like that, do they? Most people don't. But there's something about a true testimony of Christ that bothers the world. And it agitates them, and it makes them angry. And Paul had to make a decision that he would not allow himself to get discouraged by that. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you today to not get discouraged when Christianity is not accepted by the culture or by the world. Jesus died on the cross, mostly alone, only a few people with him. Even at the time of the resurrection, the disciples didn't even believe him. He had to convince them over and over and over again, and still many doubted. And then even after that, you look to the upper room. Who was with Jesus? Who was there saying, I believe? Only 120. Now, from that part of the 120 in the upper room, did, did an amazing miracle happen? Absolutely. But listen, you and I have to be very honest with ourselves. Are we okay if there's only 120? What will it be like in the next 5 to 10 years? Am I believing God for revival? Absolutely. But what if it gets harder to become a Christian? 
What if it's harder to remain one? What if there isn't a sense of heroicism in serving Jesus but only shame? In other words, what if serving Jesus makes you feel ashamed? Because notice what he says next. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. Oftentimes, we who preach the gospel, and I'm not saying we're the only ones, thank God we're not. How many are happy there's more than us going to heaven? Um, but you're tempted to want to distort the word of God, to make it more acceptable to people. That's what Paul was saying. He was saying, but we're not going to do that. We're, we're going to renounce what people do in secret. I just heard of a, another group of ministers that have had their sin uncovered, and it's becoming a mess. And I think to myself how popular they were before the sin got uncovered and how people adored them and loved them even though they were in sin. And so I began to think to myself, what did they love about that person? It certainly wasn't the gospel because the gospel wasn't what they were really drawn to. What they were drawn to was that personality. So often I feel like William Seymour. I wish I could preach with my head in a box he did that at times in the Azusa Street Revival so that no one would say they came to Metro Praise because of what I preached or what I did or my gift. I thank God that I have a tremendous heart for preaching. Like, I'll just preach all the time. I don't feel like I preach enough. I want to preach more. But at the same time, I really want people to understand, don't come because I preach good because my good preaching will offend you and bother you if you don't know the gospel. And then when I get into your life and your sin disgusts me, you'll feel like I don't love you. But I'm being honest with you. My sin in my own life disgusts me. How much more so when I see it in you? Let's be honest, you know. I mean, I looked at my children's phone the other day, and I saw that they had shared a thing that had a curse word in it. I took away their phones. I said, I don't even want to give you your phones back ever. Brothers and sisters, sin is offensive to me. Sin bothers me. I'm not okay with sin. But you see, if I use my talent to distort the word of God, you will like me more than when I tell you about your sin. But you see, the idea would then be is that we're now keeping secrets. That I would be keeping a secret from you. That, I, that somehow I would feel that there's something you should know, but I really don't want you to know. And I talk to pastors all the time, and they keep these secrets. They don't want to tell their people the truth. They walk on eggshells with them, and they feel like this is loving them. But secrets are not love, my friend. Are you listening to me? Especially if you're here today and you're living in an abusive relationship or you've come out of abuse or you're a young person, none of those secrets should ever be kept. And talking to you right now as a pastor, it would be tempting to keep secrets from you about the gospel. But you see, Jesus didn't do that. At the height of Jesus' ministry, he begins to tell them, eat my flesh, drink my blood, and then unless you do that, you have no part of me. And then notice how the multitudes leave my Jesus. Why do they leave Jesus? Because Jesus no longer gives them what they want. And it's tempting to do that as pastors, as leaders, as Christians, as I see many of you here, you're already Christians. You love the Lord. You're in our discipleship. It's going to be tempting to want to teach people things that they want to hear, that they like. I know oftentimes I talk about Oprah Winfrey. Let's give her a break for a moment. Let's talk about The Rock. Let's talk about Dwayne Johnson for a little bit. I'm drawn to that guy. I think he has a wonderful personality. He swears every now and then. But other than that, man, the guy seems to be lovable. Nice, right? And I look at his followers, man, hundreds of millions of people following him. But do you know what? He's never told you the gospel. He's never told any of his followers the gospel. And yet, if you were to ask people today, who's your favorite movie star? So many would say like, people like The Rock. And they would think that The Rock loves them, and maybe he really does. Uh, let's, let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say, here is a superstar who's made hundreds of millions of dollars, but he actually likes his fans. Let, let's, let's say he's not bothered by them. Let's give him the credit, right? Let's say he really is that way. But has he really loved his fans? He has not. He has only loved his fans for his own sake. 
because there are probably a hundred publicists and PR people around him to say, avoid this subject, avoid that subject, speak only on this, and you'll keep these followers. And so he doesn't love the fans for their own soul's sake. He loves them only for his own sake. But yet it feels so good to be around him, doesn't it? Like that would like if I'm picking movie stars, I'm picking him over Brad Pitt. I'm picking him over whatever one you can think of. I, I would say he would be my favorite. But what has he done? He's kept from me the secret of what life is about. He's kept it to himself, hasn't he? And yet people follow him. And people think that's the way we as pastors or Christians are supposed to be. Be like the rock. Tell me that what I want to hear. Tell me it's a good day. Tell me that I can make it. Tell me that I can be successful. Make what you do on your platform about me and then I'll partner with you. And Paul is saying here, that's not what I do. Does everybody get that? Paul says, I've renounced that. And so, brothers and sisters, that doesn't give us the permission to be mean just to try to tell people the truth. I'm just going to tell you the truth and be mean. No. But we as Christians really have to search our hearts and say, am I changing the gospel? Am I hiding the truth of the gospel, distorting it so that I can get a benefit out of it? so that I can see more at my life group, so that my friends will invite me over for the Easter meal, or so that the kids in the high school will think I'm cool. Because that's a distortion. Notice what Paul says. We do not distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Notice how Paul says this. I am clear in what I do, that I can commend myself. In other words, I can give you my own letter of recommendation and say my conscience is clear. Can you say that about how you've represented Christ in your world? That's my desire to say that, and I hope that I, I can, and I mean it today. My conscience is clear. I haven't hid the gospel from anyone that I've had the chance to share it with. Notice then what he says in verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, if it's covered, like if there is something that can't be seen, it's veiled to those who are perishing. So it's not because he didn't make it clear, it's because the people that he's preaching to, they don't want to see it. Oftentimes people will say they don't understand, but what they're saying is I don't want to understand. Oftentimes the culture says, that doesn't make sense. They'll say something like this, how can a loving God send someone to hell? That doesn't make sense. No, it makes perfect sense. You just don't want to understand. How many to you, eternal judgment makes perfect sense? Only a few of us? Let's just be honest. I want to see hands raised if you agree with me. How many to you, eternal judgment makes sense? Why? Why does that make sense to you? That's right, because God's for eternity. You were made for eternity. Why doesn't it bother you that people will suffer in hell for eternity? Why don't you now get upset with God? Because you've accepted it. You understand it. It's not hard. If God is eternal and he made us for eternity, the choice you now make is an eternal one. There's no confusion there. If you understand the words that I am saying, you understand that concept. And yet, there are many people in our culture today that want that distorted. They want the idea that someone goes to hell for eternity for only living 70, 80 years to be so disgusting to you that you reject the story of Jesus and the gospel and choose to go on your way and do something else. That is one of their hooks. That's one of their bait to get you to stop believing in Christ is to be offended with God and His eternal judgment. And yet you and I sit here and we understand it plainly. How about the idea that there's no other way to the Father except through Jesus? Is that hard to understand? No, but so many people are offended by that. They want to think that there is another way besides Jesus and that if you don't accept the other ways then you're not being loving like Jesus. In other words, they think you have to go against Jesus' words of being the way, the truth, and the life to actually honor Jesus. 
but they're changing Jesus' words. Did not Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? No one comes to the Father except through me. So the most Christ-like thing we can do, the most beautiful thing we can do for people is show them Jesus. If you had a disease, would you want the cure or a million other things that are not the cure? I mean, what, I mean, what would you want? You would want the cure. And yet people want us to distort the Word of God so that they can feel better about themselves or those that they know and love that have passed on before them. If my grandfather today is in hell, should that change the way I live for Jesus? What, what loyalty do I have to my grandfather that's greater than Jesus Christ? Nothing. So anyone who says to me, but my grandfather, but my mother, my, my friend did not believe this way and they've passed, what does that matter? What does it matter what they believed? Why should I or you as a Christian distort the word of God to make it feel better for them when in the long run it's only going to hurt them? Paul said the only reason why our gospel, verse 3, is ever veiled or not understood or, or not able to be seen is by those who are perishing. In other words, they are choosing not to see. They are blind because they want to stay blind. The God of this age has blinded their minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. As long as someone says, I don't want to see, Satan will say, oh, you'll never see. Does everybody get that? As long as someone says, I don't want to see, Satan comes along and says, I would, I'll make sure of that. You'll never see. But notice that they first have to be blinded themselves. They first have to choose that. In other words, no one will go to hell and then be able to say back to God, I couldn't help it. I was already just blinded by the devil. I couldn't see. No, no, no. That's not the progression. That's not how it works. Those who cannot see because the devil is blinding them have chose to remain blinded, have not asked that they may see. How many have ever heard the old saying, I was once blind, but now I see? Well, because if it was the devil's choice, if he could blind whoever he wanted and keep us all blinded, then none of us would see, right? So how did some of us go from see, uh, blind to seeing? We, we asked Jesus for help. We came to God and said, I don't want to remain blinded. Remove the blindfold from off my eyes. The God of this age has blinded the minds of who? The who? Highlight it so they can see it, please. Some people are just making up words here. Sinners is not in there. I know what you mean when you say sinner, but let's stick with the Bible. The God of this age has blinded the minds of what? So what are they doing in the process of Satan blinding them? What are they doing? Not believing or unbelieving, if you want to keep it in the proper context there, right? They're unbelieving. They're not believing. Why is Satan blinding this world? Because they're not believing. I don't have any other way to help a sinner see other than asking them to repent of their current unbelief. I cannot force a sinner. I cannot manipulate a sinner. I cannot um, trick a sinner into seeing Christ. People who do that just simply make false converts. And maybe you've met many of them. They say, well, I've gone to church. I've tried that. I've been like you, but now I'm no longer like you. I'm not saying that a true Christian can't change to go back to be a non-Christian. I do believe that. But the great majority of those who say I once was a Christian and are not a Christian, in my experience, are false converts. In other words, they never were truly a Christian. Because they did not understand the gospel. They were in church. They might have been raised in church. They might have been baptized. They might have attended Bible studies. But there was a misunderstanding to them of what the gospel actually was. And this is where you have to examine your heart. Do you understand what the gospel, the good news, that's what it means, of Christ, do you know what it actually is? Do you know what the gospel actually means? I don't mean like in a test sense, you have to say it word for word a certain way. I'm saying, do you grasp 
the big idea of what the gospel is. Man sinned against his creator. Man deserves death and punishment, but God became man so that man might be saved, right? Isn't that the beautiful story that we're, we're learning about today? We're singing about. And so if we don't get that, if we think there's something good in us, if we think there's something redeemable in us, like how Joe B. was saying, if, if we think that there's something that God can just make us better in, then we don't understand the need to be born again. Well, I'll just become better. I'll just get renovation. I'll just get God to paint my walls, change the carpet, as I was doing at Rudy's house this week, offering whatever little help I could. Everybody else was doing the real man's work. Um, I was doing the light work, and, and uh, even the women were out working me, which was amazing to see. I love seeing Sister Alina back there. You're awesome. Teach my daughters how to do that. Well, is that all salvation is? Is just God renovates you a little bit? That's not the gospel. The gospel confronts us with our wretchedness. And the problem with that is that we know there are things about us that we don't like, but many of us don't want to go to the extent of understanding that it's wretched. And so what mankind does is he runs from the gospel when the wretchedness is brought up. If you talk about a person getting self-help, self-renovation, adding some things to their life, they'll listen to you. But the moment you speak to them and you show them that according to God, they are a wretch, those words begin to offend them. That they are wicked. Listen to these other words, vile. Now it bothers them. Why? Because there's some part of them, and I've been there too, that wants to believe better about themselves. I'm really not that bad. And, and then what they'll do is compare themselves to others. And they'll say, well, now look at me compared to this one. But what they're not understanding is that the judgment of God the Father is not in a comparison between them and Hitler, but to them and his spotless, perfect son, Jesus Christ. And how do you compare to Jesus? How do you compare to Jesus? You're a wretch, you're vile, you're wicked. And this was the kind of message that brought people to their knees, even out of religious context in the early Americas, because they understood that God has to save me lest I be lost forever. That's why Amazing Grace was a song that was popularized during that time. Amazing Grace that saved a what like me? What's the word there? A wretch. Could you think of a gospel artist today that would use that kind of word? And a popular song that would be saying on K-Love, I can't. I'm sure there's somebody out there. Maybe you can share it with me on my Facebook later on my devotional today. Please show me modern K-Love Christian pop stars that sing songs that teach you you're a wretch. Not that beautifully broken garbage that they're having a bad day and they don't know how to love themselves. I'm not talking about that. I'm at, and Which is also a form of pride because their real problem is they're a wretch. The reason why they keep having bad days, the reason why they keep needing coffee, the reason why they keep having broken relationships, not to say every bad thing happens as a result of them. I'm just saying the reason why they don't see their way out of that is because they haven't understood they're a wretch. They're a wicked, vile sinner. And yet God loves them and gives them beauty for their ashes, and yet they don't want to see it. Turn with me quickly to Isaiah chapter 1. Paul is saying, I do the opposite of that. How many want to give the right gospel to the right people? How many believe that the gospel is a message of freedom and hope? Amen. When you look at Isaiah chapter 1, you see that Jesus is speaking to the prophet on what he is supposed to have as a worldview when it comes to humanity and the situations that they're going through. Look at Isaiah chapter 1. It's going to be basically a whole book of judgment with some hope in between. But in Isaiah chapter 1, look at just, say, starting in verse 9. He says to them, unless the Lord Almighty had left some survivors, we would have been like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. That means God would have destroyed them all. Do you understand what the prophet is saying? Unless God had decided he would be merciful, the prophet is saying he would have destroyed all of us. Now listen to what he says in the next verse. He literally calls the people of Israel Sodom and Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. 
Well, I thought Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. Yeah, it was. So why is he calling people that? Because that's how they're acting. Imagine me saying to a group of pastors, because he's talking to the rulers here, right? You rulers of Sodom. How many pastors would come to that conference? How many would then buy my book in the back labeled, You Rulers of Sodom? Yet this is what's going on in our pulpits to the point where so much scandal happens in our church that we just want to go back to singing Easter songs and go on and pretend it doesn't matter. Have you noticed how many scandals have happened in the Christian church just in the last five years? You can't even keep up with it. It's almost like a tabloid. And yet you come to a church like this, and I even have good, dear friends of mine say, well, I want to help you grow your church. Grow your church. Not if you're going to grow it like a cancer. I don't want to have growth like a cancer or growth like obesity. You want to give me encouragement to grow the muscles of the church, I'm with you, but I don't want to grow the obesity and the cancer of the church. Hear you rulers of Sodom, the word of the Lord. Listen to the instruction of God, our God, you people of Gomorrah. And he's talking to the Israelites. The multitude of your sacrifice, sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord. The multitude of your Easter services, the multitudes of your choirs, the multitudes of your books, the multitudes of all of these things that you do, what are they to me? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams, of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. There's actually a sacrificial code, as we learn in the Old Testament, right, as Hebrews says. And yet God is now saying, even in the Old Testament, I've had enough. I don't take pleasure in any of this. Look at verse 12. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Verse 13. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense, think about this, your smell is even detestable to me. You smell detestable. I don't even like the way you smell. (laughs) Have you ever been so upset with somebody that their scent made you mad? Come on, couples, don't tell on yourself now. I don't even like the way you smell. Stop bringing these things to me. Your new moons, your Sabbaths, your convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Churches on every corner. I wonder how many Jesus is saying to you, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. So many of these pastors I challenge to private debate. I don't want to publicly debate them to shame them. Please hear me, brother or sister. My gift of debate is not to let the body of Christ look like idiots in front of the world. But I talk to these pastors out of love, and I say privately, discuss these things with me. And they don't want to. And they talk to me about their leadership. You know, part of my doctorate degree was taking Christian leadership. Most of Christian leadership is worthless. Absolutely worthless. The books on my shelves, many of them, are absolutely worthless to stop the tide of secularism coming across our culture right now. There is nothing those books or those conferences can do to stop it. Otherwise, they would have. As a matter of fact, when I mention the names of those who promoted that in this city, we all see them as a proverb and a byword. Bill Hybels, Willow Creek, yay! Nobody does that. Now, may God have mercy on that church. May they do well now that he's gone. But now it's a stain. I was out snowboarding the other day, meeting young people. I used to go to that church until these things happened. I had to clean up that man's mess. And yet, it happens every day. Pastors live in sin. I don't want to be corrected. Go right down the road. I was a part of a church in my hometown where the pastor had an affair They wanted him to get right with the denomination. He refused. He then started a church down the road, and it outgrew the church that he had left. What do you say? Well, you're going to have a bad life. No, he got a bigger house, a bigger church, 
But you know what happened over time? His children began to live in the same sin he did. And then they got exposed. And then there was nowhere for them to go. And then eventually that church lost that property. And the church that he split from, you can't make this stuff up, bought it from them. And now has their church there. I'm being truthful with you. First Assembly of God in Calvary Church. Look it up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, the Panos. And his legacy died with his backslidden children. The pastor then changed the name. Someone took over the Calvary as they were meeting in schools, and I met him. He was a man of God from the same denomination of the church that bought. There was Assembly of God, bought that building, Calvary Temple. My parents have told the story to Nancy. She knows what I'm talking about. I've watched the whole thing play out in front of me. And yet we do it over and over and over again. Sometimes I feel like I'm in the book of Kings. I watch one wicked one get brought up. Then when they come down, I think it's going to change. And then they just raise up the next one. And then that one goes down, and then they raise up the next one. That one goes down. And I'm sitting here going, when are we going to learn? And I know I'm not alone. I'm not angry with you as a church today. I'm just speaking with passion because I'm angry that as a culture, we're not understanding that God is saying to us it's worthless. My passion isn't being angry towards you who come here this morning to hear the word of the Lord. My passion and my anger, if there is such an emotion today, is that we keep doing as a general body in this city and in this country worthless things before our God. And yet we expect him to honor them. Oh God, we've had Easter, now change our city. If that's the way it worked, then the inner city would have changed a long time ago because that community is all up in Easter services today. How many know if I drive on the west side, I'm going to see a lot of church folk? And how many know if you go to the nice neighborhoods, you're going to see a lot of church folk? Both are guilty of the same worthless assembly. Now look at what he says here. I just, I don't know how else to say it except to read it to you. Your new moon feast and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. <laughs> Pastor, what kind of Easter service is this? <laughs> the kind that tells you God is tired of Easter services. Not that it's wrong to remember the resurrection or have our children perform. I mean, that's great. I think we're doing it the best way we can. But if you're wondering why a culture like the United States of America can have its services today and tomorrow be just as wicked as it was before, it's because they're not doing it God's way. He says he hates them with all of his being. Now, I wish I could get you to shout like the evangelist did the last few weeks, but this message, I think, hits a little different, doesn't it? They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Well, pastor, you're just too hard on them. No, no, no. God is hiding their eyes from them when they pray. Well, pastor, their church is bigger than yours. God is hiding his eyes from them when they pray. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Brothers and sisters, this is not to me a time to compromise. This is not a time to now change the way we do things. This is a time where we look at ourselves in the mirror and get real with ourselves and say, am I willing to be who God wants me to be regardless of the cost? Because I want God to hear my prayers. I want God to hear me when I pray. I want God to know that my heart is his and that when we gather and we have assemblies, he is pleased. Going back to the scripture, please. I have many more verses to read, but I know my time is running short, and I do want to honor you and the things you have planned with your family. But going back to 2 Corinthians, Paul said, because of God's mercy, I have a ministry, and I'm not going to lose heart. That's the title of today's message. Don't lose heart. He said, we've renounced our secret and shameful ways. There's no secret. There's no shame. That's why today some of you are coming to my, my family's house. We invite as many as we can throughout the year to come and enjoy fellowship with us. You'll notice that I don't carry in my house a sense of guilt and a sense of shame 
or a sense of embarrassment. I'm very comfortable in my own skin living for Jesus in a blessed uh, uh, time of my life. But I want you to understand this. I know what the rest of the world is doing now. But I'm not going to let it change me. Amen? So I'm not saying that you can't enjoy your life, you can't enjoy ministry, but you have to renounce secret things. You have to renounce shameful things. You have to get away from deception and distortion and give people the word of God and then go and preach to them. And if their eyes are blinded, it's because they are unbelievers. Find those who are willing to believe and keep preaching to them so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. I was talking to a brother and he was saying, I'm amazed at all the things that God does in the church. And the reason why that is is because I don't put myself on any of it. I don't need a reputation for any of it. When the pictures are taken, when when the, the testimonies go forth, my name does not have to be mentioned. And yet I talk to people all the time who tell me they go to such and such pastor's church and they ramble on about this person as if they are that person's God. I've had people stop me while I was preaching on the streets to tell me about their pastor and how I should get in touch with their pastor and all that their pastor is doing. We have a term for that in the world, but I won't use it here because it's vulgar. But men know what I'm talking about. It's called, uh, the phrase starts with swinging. You swinging on blankety blank. People need to stop swinging on pastor stuff. That's what I'm going to say. Amen. You got what I'm saying. One brother got it from the work site. We on the same page. Why are you swinging on these men, these people, these singers, these uh, authors? People swing on them. They, they get their validation from them. No different from those who find validation in Andrew Tate. People who follow Andrew Tate. Oh, I like Andrew Tate. I'm of high value, man. Like Andrew Tate. And they swing it on his stuff. The Bible says if you follow the blind, you fall into the same ditch. Number one, we don't swing on anybody's stuff. We don't get moved by any man. We get moved by God. Amen? That's why when people come to debate with me when I'm preaching or I'm online, I have all of the confidence in the world because I'm not defending a mere man. Well, well, well what do you think about such and such? It's so freeing when you have the Word of God as your standard because it doesn't matter how they ask the question, you can just simply respond back with the truth of God. Somebody were to ask you, well, what do you think about this pastor and the scandal? You know what I would say back? That's why there's a hell. That pastor needs to repent. Next question. Well, what do you think about it? Literally, I just got, um, you know, because the news, they were all up in our, our life before. They were swinging. Amen. They were swinging on our stuff. And, 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 and so they got my number. And <laughs> come on, it's getting real in church. They were all up on our stuff. They couldn't leave us alone. Well, I just got one the other day. I won't mention her name. She said, we need someone to talk about the Pope and his sickness. I'm like, I'm not your guy for that. I have no idea what's going on. I didn't even know the Pope was sick. Literally, I wanted to respond back to the newswoman. That's news to me. I wanted to respond back to her. I don't even know. You want me to get on the news and talk about the Pope? This is what I'm going to say is the Pope needs to repent. And I literally wrote her back. And I'm like, if you want that from me, I'm your guy. But I think about some of my friends in the world. They would go on to that show just to get more attention. <laughs> Give me all the attention you got. You want me to talk about the Pope and his sickness? I don't know anything about it, but I'll figure something out so I can get on your show. Don't you see talking heads on the news all the time? And you're like, they don't even know what they're talking about. They're there because they want the attention. 
And here I said to this news anchor, this uh, news interviewer woman, if I said her name, most of you would know it. I said, I have nothing to say about that, but this is what I have things to say about when you want to get in touch with me. I'll talk to you about those things. Have a blessed day. You see, Jesus said, let the light shine out of darkness. He makes his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Now look at this. I'm going to read this quickly in closing. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. How many love Jesus today? Now the rest is about us. Let's be encouraged. We've corrected the issues of the church. Let's go to us and be encouraged. We who are believers, we have the light of Christ in us. And that is an all-surpassing power, and it's from God, and it's not from us. Now listen to Paul and see if you can relate today on this Easter service. We are pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. Come on. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We're always carrying around in the body the death of Christ so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. Do you ever feel like that? See, now you can relate to Paul. Paul says, I know what it's like to bear the cross of Jesus Christ, but it doesn't stop there. I also bear the life of Jesus. So, well, it might be good and well to talk about what's going wrong in the world, and we have to fix it with the, the, you know, the gospel of Jesus. At the end of the day, I have a hope that no one can take from me because it comes from God. Verse 11, for we who are alive are always are always being, excuse me, for those of us who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. So it is then that death is at work in us, but life is in that work at you, is working in you. You see, today, brothers and sisters, we can relate to Jesus in the sense of when he died so others live, we die so that they can live. When we lay down our lives for the gospel, when we speak to people the truth, when we live lives of integrity, it may cost us something, but it will bless them. Highlight that, please. Death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. See, that's what it looks like. I remember when I first got saved, brother, and I was working, roofing, and doing construction. I met a pastor who had been in ministry about as long as I am now, and he had just left the ministry and was finding work to do. And he told me in a nutshell everything that I've experienced now. Basically, ministry sucks if you don't do it for Jesus because people aren't worth it. This is what he told me. I'm just telling you in a nutshell, as he's smoking a cigarette after serving Jesus for 10, 15, 20 years, and he was a part of a church planning movement that I wanted to go into. But I realized something at that first minute. This is what I realized. So you, you started where I was at, and you got to where I wanted to be, but then you realized it wasn't everything you thought it was, so you came back to where I am now. Everybody get this? This is what I realized. Jesus, I need you to be everything along this way so that I never come back to here because looking at this man is my worst nightmare. Because what he didn't realize is I just got back from the world. I had just lived with smoking, drinking, having sex. And this pastor thought he was getting free by now coming out of that world. And I was looking at him feeling sorry for him because I understood what that world is. And I think about him often even as I tell these stories. Where are you, dear backslidden pastor friend? How have your sleepless nights been? Have the cigarettes, has the alcohol, has the one-night stands ever comforted your heart? No, he's left wanting. And so for me, ministry is not what I get out of it. It's not something that I do to build up my self-esteem. How many book sales? How many people attend the Easter service? How many youth performed? How many did this? I'm looking at this so that the life of God can be in me so that others can have it. Come get life. I've got it. I know what it feels like to not have it and now to have it, and I never want to let go of it. And so if a part of ministry, if a part of serving God feels like death... It's worth it for me to know that others are finding life in Jesus. How many here are willing to serve Christ that way? Even if it kills me, I'm doing it so you get life. Even if it kills every bit of pride in me, I'll open up my house and have a Bible study. Even if it humbles me every time I stand on those streets and they reject me, if it gives life, I'll go out and preach. 
Because it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. And so if the death of the cross, of Jesus on the cross on Good Friday, it means anything to me, then that means it's the death of Joe on Good Sunday and Good Monday and Good Tuesday. Why? So that resurrection comes every day of the week to those around me. I have to die so that you can live. Because if everybody lives like the rock, young man, you never get the gospel. Because if everybody lives like Oprah, sister, you don't get the gospel. If we all just looked out for ourselves, gentlemen, no one got the gospel. No one gets it. Someone has to say, I'll take the persecution. Someone has to say, I'll take the rejection. Because if that's what Christ did for me, I'm here now for him. And if you're looking for a Christian who is not ashamed, look no further than here. You have found a real one. You have found a real one who is not ashamed of Christ. Who will live for Jesus. That's what we say to the world. Please put up the picture from Christians in the Colosseums of Rome. Christians in the Colosseums of Rome. You would think after the death, burial, and resurrection, everybody's a Christian now, right? No. Jesus even kept that a secret. He didn't go on the Mori Povich and tell everybody. He only goes to his disciples in private meetings. Well, isn't that stupid? Not if you want people to trust you by faith instead of follow a circus. Jesus wasn't a ringleader of a circus. Are you listening? Jesus didn't need everybody to follow him to build up his, his ego. Jesus did what he knew the Father wanted him to do. And the Father said, after your resurrection, you go hang out with your disciples, and then they'll tell the rest of the world. Because as he told in his parable of Lazarus, even if someone is raised from the dead and they want to be blind, they will not believe. Do you understand when he told that parable? So Jesus kept that. That meant Jesus was not going to come from the dead and go around to Pharaoh, I mean, go around to Pilate, peekaboo, and go scare him and say, guess what, I'm back. He wasn't going to do that. He said they won't really believe them. That's not belief. That's manipulation. Are you tracking with me? The day I accepted my wife as my wife and put on that ring, I didn't have a time warp machine to go into the future to see everything. I had to trust her there. That's what love is. It's trust. It's faith. Believing in the character of someone else. Now, you would have thought after Jesus went to the cross, that was it, right? After he rose from the dead, that's it. But no, it wasn't. For their sick, twisted humor, they began to do it to all the Christians. Oh, you didn't learn the lesson? Well, you want to follow that? That guy's your hero? Well, then die like him. And thousands of Christians crucified, burned alive, sent to be eaten by lions. And yet you would see these dear brothers and sisters prepared to meet God, praying, and being humble. These are still the stories of our brothers and sisters today. This is what Christianity looks like when the rubber meets the road. I know it's extreme, but it will help you get through your divorce. It will help you get through the problems you're facing in your high school. If you can understand, it was always about the cross. It was always about us having a future hope. It was never about us trying to have something to manipulate the system with, to deceive people with, to get everybody's money, big bill build big buildings, and to become everybody's favorite preacher on Sunday. It was always about us laying down our lives to get the truth out. How many people you think over time became Christians after seeing this? Thousands. See, the very thing that Satan thought would destroy the Son of God actually got him pimp-slapped and all the keys of death, hell, and the grave taken from him. What he thought would win on the cross actually lost on the cross for him. Are you listening? And the same thing is, they're saying, send them. Send them all to their arena. Send them to these crosses. Burn them alive. Show them what Rome does to these seditious cult members. That's what they called Christians. Show them what they do. And yet there's people in those stands with tears coming down their eyes saying, if that's what life is about, I want it. Because they saw people die with dignity facing the death of what would terrify anyone else. They were facing it singing songs of rejoicing. Read about it in history. And within a few hundred years, even after the hardest and longest persecution, Christianity became 
the state religion of Rome. And eventually now we know it's the Roman Catholic Church, which needs to repent. But why are they in Rome? They're in Rome because Christians won the Roman Empire. Going back to our scriptures, Paul said, I'm pressed. He says, I'm, I'm persecuted. I feel like everything around me is going wrong. I feel like I'm struck down. I feel like these things are happening to me. But notice how he pushes back everyone and sees the God in each situation. Go up a little bit more for me, please. He says, hard press, it turns to not being crushed because God protects me. Perplexed turns to not having despair because God gives peace to my mind. Persecuted, but I'm never alone in that jail cell because God is with me. Struck down, but I'm not destroyed. Verse 13, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. That was the marching orders of the church. I believe, and I'll tell everybody about it. I believe, and I'll tell everybody about it. I remember when I first got saved, there was a passion inside of me to go to the community that I had left, the skateboarders, the drug dealers, and to begin telling them about Jesus. And I want to tell you, I've never felt more rejection than I did then. We would steal. We would rob. We would cheat on each other uh, with each other's girlfriends. It's sick, the stories that I could tell you how we would do these things in our parties. And yet, guess what? <laughs> I could still come around. I had sex with a dude's girlfriend, and I could still come around. One dude stole from me, and he was still my friend. He stole from me. I looked for my money in my house the whole day, and it was him. And yet we stuck together like a den of thieves. And yet when I came to them and said, Jesus Christ has saved me, they rejected me. I remember one of my closest friends said, meet me at Arby's at my lunch break, 12 o'clock. I remember this. So, brother, you're starting your Christian walk. Don't think it's strange. He said, meet me at 12 o'clock. This was one of my closest friends. Ride or die. This guy was like no other in my life. Didn't even show up. I didn't see him for months. They rejected me. Why? What changed? Jesus. And they were convicted. But it was worth it. You see, I have now friends that I wouldn't trade for anything. That wasn't a real friend. That wasn't a real compadre. That wasn't a real companion. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Whatever you lose in this life for the sake of Christ is worth it. Even if at times it feels hard. Even if at times you feel alone. Even if at times nobody gets you. Brothers and sisters, hold on to your faith. With the keyboard has come quickly now. I'm going to read through this and encourage you today. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise, raise us up with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Pastor Berto, do you believe it? Do you believe that the same one who raised up Jesus from the dead will raise us up with him and present us to the Father? That's why we're here. What hope does Muhammad give his followers? Some virgins? What? That's all you get? I get Jesus. I don't need virgins when I have Jesus. Are you listening to me? What does Hinduism promise you? Reincarnation. Start over until you finally get it right. Here's a secret. You're never going to get it right without Jesus. If Jesus gave you an endless amount of lives and didn't help you, you would be endlessly in torment. That is what hell is, by the way, is rejecting the help of God for eternity. And yet one life, surrender to Jesus, can be more full than anything we could ever imagine. Notice what he says here. He says, I know that Christ is raised from the dead. Paul used to be a persecutor of Christians. And yet he goes, I know it. I saw him. I had a vision. And he says, all this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And if you can just scroll back up to verse 1 before we get to 16, here's the sandwich of 2 Corinthians. Paul starts off with, do not lose heart. And then he rebukes false teachers and confesses his own problems and things that he faces. And then how does he end going back to verse 16? What does he say? Therefore. What does therefore mean? The thing you're going to, le you're going to learn is there for a reason. Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly 
we are wasting away. Pray for me as I travel Tuesday to go to a funeral of the closest friend that I've had who's left us and gone to be with Jesus. I have never lost someone closer to me than Brandon Holm. He is closer to me than my own sister that I lost drinking and driving. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light, notice what he called everything that he just talked about, persecution, abandonment, despair, all of these things, rejection. Notice now what he calls it. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us. Can you see it ahead in the distance? Are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what do we do? We fix our eyes on not what is seen. Oh, look at the rock. He's releasing a new tequila. Look at his life. Man, I wish I was in Hawaii. Oh, man, look at all of his followers. Man, he's got a hot wife. Oh, look at his. No, no, no. We fix our eyes on not what is seen. We don't fix our eyes on that, but on what is unseen. I'm thinking about the rock because I was checking him out yesterday. I came up on my feet, and I noticed something about him as he grew out his goatee. You know what I noticed? There's some gray in there. And then I started noticing more of his wrinkles. And I always watch my parents do this when they watch their movie stars get old. I go, he's getting old. And then I looked at myself, and I go, wow, I'm getting old too. He's not going to be that strong forever, is he? He's not going to have that, that eyebrow thing forever, is he? So we fix our eyes. We fix our eyes. And I pray this for him even now, Lord. Speak to him. Bring Christians into his life. So we fix our eyes on not what is seen, all the things that we have, because that's just temporary. I'm thinking about my, my guy Brandon's life right now. Please put up a picture of him. Go to my personal Facebook page and put up the one that I made for him. And I'm thinking about all the things he had on his mind before he died. Car payment, house payment, the church that he was going to sing at, the new record that he was going to release because he was a worship leader, the, the plans that he had made for his children, savings, and within 24 hours, and he wouldn't mind me telling you his story because he was the one that always had the tea, by the way. He wouldn't mind me telling you his story. Within 24 hours, an illness still unknown to us put him in the hospital as he was traveling to preach, and he died away from his home in Tulsa. Within 24 hours, young man. 24 hours. All that you could see in the life of Brandon gone. Oh, but his beautiful children, I'm, I'm sure God won't, you know, as he was in the hospital, some might have said, well, I'm sure God won't let him pass because he has to, he has to be here for the children, the children, the children's sake. No. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I was thinking about all the things that were seen in his life, all the things that were seen, are you listening to me? And how they are gone. What are you and I going to do when we meet the one who is unseen face to face? Look, God, look, I set a new record on this video game I was playing. Look, God, are you proud of me? Look, I, I was playing this game, and I got a really high score, God. you happy with it? Oh, look, God, look, 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 God. You see this right here? That's an Amex Black. Worked hard for it. I bought my Lambo on it. Look, God, look, 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 God. Hey, God, did you see all my TikTok followers? Look at them, God. You had a lot, but I had more. Look at me. You only had 12. I have 120 million. You see, God? Look, look, God. 
He's face to face now with all that ever mattered. And if it didn't matter to him on this earth, he doesn't get the privilege of being there now when it matters most. But because I knew him, and unless he lived a double life that I knew nothing about, but because I knew the life that I saw him live, he is now in the presence of God. And if there is such a conversation that ever happens in heaven like this, I'm sure it goes something along these lines. Uh, God, but what about my daughter? I got her. But God, what about the bills? Worship me, I got them. God, but what about the generation that I was supposed to reach? Joby's still there. He got them with me. Until the point where is done. And he goes, ah, you, that's what I'm about now? Don't think about anything? Yeah, just think about me. Could you imagine those worship moments after being in heaven, just realizing it now? It's all in his hands anyway. It was only about him anyway. We didn't make this ball called earth and make it spin so we would have gravity to keep our feet here. We never made oxygen to make it go in and out of our lungs. We didn't hold together the molecular structures of our brain so that we could fire these things and things. We were never in control to begin with. We were just playing make-believe for a while with some of the things we could control. You see, brothers and sisters, it doesn't mean we just forget about everything. Going back to our scripture, please. It just means we put it all in context. We put it all in context. It does matter what I do with my children today. I'm not just going to be a monk and go meditate. No, I'm going to love all my children. I'm going to have a good Easter dinner. Anybody having some Easter meals right now? Maybe it's overcooking. you got to make up for that. I apologize. Come on. No, I'm going to have a great day with them. But at the end of the end game... You know, with Thanos or whatever, as they all turn to dust, I'm, I'm enjoying today, but I'm understanding it's all just dust anyway. I love my kids, but I can't take them with me. I love you, but I can't take you with me. I love doing great things. I want to enjoy the weather as spring is sprung. I want to get out there and make memories. But I have to keep my eyes on Jesus. Jesus said it like this, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these other things will be taken care of. If you're going to remember anything today from this resurrection service, remember, do not lose heart. Trust in Jesus. You'll see him one day. As he rose from the dead, you're going to raise up with him. Would you stand up with me now? Would you put your hands together? Would you bless the Lord and say hallelujah? Thank you, Jesus. Come on, somebody shout glory to God. If you believe you're going to see him one day, and that whatever you face today pales in comparison to the glory to be revealed. Band and altar workers, would you come please? Let us pray in closing. Father, I ask you now to bless us, to keep us, to help us to walk in that resurrection power and to be cross-eyed everywhere we go in life. And I pray right now if anyone does not know you, they would come to know and love you because you are the joy of life. You are the treasure. Right now, in an attitude of prayer, if you don't know Jesus, would you ask him into your heart? Would you repent of your sins? Would you seek his face right now for forgiveness of any sin and ask him to change your life? Right now, he'll do it. In just a few moments, these altar workers will be here for prayer for that need or any other need. Or if you just want to study more with us, they'll give you their number and invite you over. Today, they'll start teaching you. Someone's house will be welcoming you. But before we go, talk to Jesus. No one distorted the word of God to you today. No one kept a secret from you, did I? You've heard it, haven't you? And you understand. Would you say, I believe right now in the name of Jesus? Don't say it for me. Say it for him. Come on, even if you've already been a Christian before, just say it like Paul said. I believe, therefore I speak. I have the spirit of faith. I believe, I believe, I believe. He was crucified for me. He was buried so my old life would be buried and he was rose, uh, raised again on that third day so that I could live with him. Even right now that we suffer trials and tests, they are for the benefit of others. Why doesn't he just take us all to heaven? Where would all the other people get help from? We're here to know Jesus and to make him known. 
even in the midst of our own trials and tests. A few more moments right now. You're not alone. You're not alone if you're a Christian. Jesus is with you. You're not facing any struggle by yourself today. You can and you shall overcome in Jesus' name. We will finish our race. A few more moments. Ask Jesus today to show you what this next season of your life will be like. Trust him. Trust him with your marriage. Trust him with your high school years. Trust him with your job. Trust him. He's, oh, hallelujah, he's trustworthy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I believe in God the Father. Can we sing that song? Let's find the words for it. Just a few moments, we'll sing it. I believe in God the Father. We're going to sing that out. We're going to sing a confessional song in just a few moments. Just a few moments, band, thank you. But I want us to pray before we sing it out. Jesus, 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 you're the most important one. You're greater than any president. You're greater than any leader. A few more moments, saints. Before we worship, make sure you confess him. Come on, right now, make him the Lord of your life. Nothing can compare to our Jesus. Kings and kingdoms may come and go. Finances come and go. Friends come and go. But Jesus remains the same forever. You ready now, band? Thank you for your patience. Let's sing this out in closing and then we'll dismiss. I believe in God the Father. I, I believe. believe in God our Father. Come on, sing it out today. I believe in Christ the Son. This is our confession of faith. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Oh, yes, all three. Our God is three. In one, in the one. blessed Trinity. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. We're coming with Jesus. I believe in the name of Jesus. Dismissed from this place, but never your presence. May we leave with the message of Easter, resurrection in our heart, and may we share it with the world in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Can you say amen? Can you bless him one more time? God bless you, saints. Thank you for coming. Have a wonderful day. We're going to keep worshiping. If you would like to come for prayer, please do so. Otherwise, enjoy your day.